How many of you work at uh, memorizing Scripture? <coughs> Some, that's good. Keith works hard at it. Uh, or at least he works at some, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a great discipline for a Christian to have. Uh, it's, it's awesome, as you know, to have God's Word in your heart and in your mind for any situation, any circumstance. The older I get, the harder it is for me. But I've been working very hard on one passage, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, feeling pretty good about it. Shall I, shall I do it for you? Okay. I don't like to show off. That's not my nature. <laughs> but um, I, will, I will do it. I will, I will show you my memorization skills. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.16. You might want to turn there and check me on this. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Here goes. Rejoice always. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Whatever we're paying this guy, it's way too much. <laughs> right? Um, but there's a reason that I love 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It's full of God. It's the only reasonable response to Jesus Christ. I love... 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it's full of biblical theology. It's who God is. It's what God has done. It's what God is doing. It's what God will do. Fill up the hearts of His people forever. You may remember a few weeks ago when we started the book of Philippians that some have dubbed the epistle of joy. We, we took a look at that word joy and we defined it. The dictionary says that joy is a condition or feeling of great pleasure, happiness, or delight. We talked about the fact that human joy is almost always contingent upon, anybody remember? Circumstance. Our joy quotient is usually... Uh, match to what's happening to us today, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's indifferent. But we talked about the fact that divine joy is not like that. Divine joy is different. God's joy is not based on circumstance. God's joy is based on, guess what? God. I love that about Him. <laughs> I love that about Him. There is infinite pleasure, happiness, and delight in the Godhead simply because the Godhead is the Godhead. This is biblical Christianity. God's joy is innate. It is who He is. Joy is native to God. His joy is never circumstantial. It flows from within Him and from within the deepest part of His being. Pleasure, happiness, and delight is Jehovah God. God rejoices always. Why? Because He had a good day? Things went well for Him? No. Because He is infinitely grand and glorious and beautiful. He encompasses all the perfections. All the perfections 
As long as God has been God, God has been infinitely happy. I know that some of you may have been in Christian churches for a long time and you've never thought about God like this. And beloved, that's a tragedy. Because our Father, we talked about it the last two weeks, our Father is an infinitely happy God, for a billion eternities past, the Father, Son, and Spirit have existed in perfect love, communication, and fullness, pleasure, happiness, and delight, lacking nothing, needing nothing, wanting nothing. So the theologian asks the question, then why does God create? Why does God create? Well, we know the short answer for Christians if we've studied our Bibles a little bit. We know the short answer. What is the short answer? Why does God create? For His glory. But there's a little bit more to it than that. And I just want to share it with you. And of course, there's, there's a little bit more that can be said here. And guess who said it? You know who said it. John Piper said it. The guy I quote the most. Uh, and I, I like to work this quote in as often as I can. I, I still remember 1996. I was laying on my bed late at night. I was reading Desiring God. And I read this quote. And it fundamentally enhanced my view of God. Two years later, I'm in seminary. Some people think there's a connection. I think I was headed to seminary anyway. But i got to tell you, I fell in love with God afresh and anew that night when I read this quote. And I've shared it with you before. Piper is simply distilling Jonathan Edwards, the greatest theologian who ever walked the planet, other than the Apostle Paul. Piper is merely distilling Jonathan Edwards. In creation... God went public, I love this, with the glory that reverberates joyfully between the Father and the Son. Don't you love that? God has gone public with this joy that reverberates between the Father and the Son. There's something about the fullness of God's joy that inclines it to overflow. Really, creation is simply an overflow. It's like a, a, a controlled explosion of the happiness and joy of God. Yeah, go look at a sunset. Go look at a flower. You can see the joy of God. You can see His fingerprints in creation. You can see the exuberance of God all through the created order. Piper continues, the eternal happiness of the triune God spilled over in the work of creation and redemption. All His works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. I love that. And if you're born again tonight... You understand about infinite exuberance. You have begun to taste it. You have begun to taste your Father's infinite exuberance. His eternal happiness spilled over into creation and then, yes, into redemption. I love that imagery. Infinite exuberance. That's our Father. Infinite exuberance. God says rejoice always. And guess what, beloved? He means it. This is not just pretty theology. This is not just dogma. This is not just doctrine. God means for His people to rejoice always because He's God. He's our Father. He's redeemed us. He's serious about it. He's serious about us being a joyful people. Hey, it's not my fault. John Piper said this too. It's not my fault Piper says a lot of cool stuff. And I'm going to have to quote him again at least one more time in the sermon. The Christian is to be seriously joyful and joyfully serious. I love that. 
Are you seriously joyful? What does the psalmist say? In the presence of God. Someone tell me. Psalm 1611. In the presence of God is the fullness of... If you lack joy, Christian friend, it's because you are not practicing the presence of God. You have not disciplined yourself. You're not in the Word. You're not on your knees. You're not spending quiet time with your beautiful Father. If you lack joy, it's not His fault. (laughs) It's your fault. He's there. He's there for His people. You know, we've talked about this many times. It's the rejoicing always is the irrepressible consequence of of meeting Christ. It's the Matthew 13.44 thing. True biblical conversion is pure joy. From joy, the man sold all that he had that he might possess the field. The field being a metaphor for the Lord Jesus Christ. So joy is the root. I love this. Joy is the root of biblical faith and joy is the fruit of biblical faith. This is the breathtaking reality of biblical Christianity. Listen to this, beloved. The omnipotent joy of the Redeemer progressively becomes the joy of the redeemed. And it will take a billion eternities for God to pour His joy into us because His joy is infinite. Which is to say, there will never come a time when He does not have more joy to pour into His people. This stuff makes me crazy. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's so exciting. The real Christian has only just begun the never-ending pilgrimage into the infinite joy of God. And we know from reading uh, uh, the book of Philippians, again known as the Epistle of Joy, Paul is on that pilgrimage. You cannot, uh, you cannot drown out the joy of the Apostle Paul. It just keeps spilling out onto the page. A man who had tremendous trial, tremendous persecutions, you just can't drown out his joys. We've been saying the last two weeks, Paul's joy flows from that beautiful reality that every Christian shares. Yes, the King of love has sent for me. We talked about it last week on your hardest day. If you hang on to that, if you just meditate on that, I promise there will be joy in your heart. Because your hardest day will pass. It will pass. But the joy that your Father gives will never pass. Never. Never pass. What an awesome thing. God invaded Paul's life on the road to Damascus and everything changed for him. Let me ask you, Christian friend, is that how it is with you and Jesus? Have you begun to taste infinite exuberance? You know, a couple of, I guess it was last year at this time, we were going through the book of James and Sarah Groves has that beautiful song. She says, something's changed in me and it's broken wide open and it's all spilled out. That's what happens in a Christian's life. That new life just spills out. That joy spills out. That power spills out. That's what happens in the Christian's life. And that's what's going on with the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing this letter from prison, but you can't hold down his joy. You can't drown it out. You can't stop it. It just keeps flowing. Verses 12-14. through Philippians chapter 1. 
Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. What does Paul say about his circumstance? What is his circumstance from the text? Paul is imprisoned, but what does he say? Verse 13, the circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel. Pardon me, verse 12. Do you think Paul is surprised that this, this unfortunate event, this, this, the fact that he's in prison, you think it's, he, he's surprised that God's Word is still going forth and making progress? Does, does anyone think Paul's surprised about this? You know why we know Paul's not surprised? Because two to four years earlier, Paul had written the, the epistle to the Romans. And Paul had penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8.28. Anybody know it? I bet some of you know Romans 8.28. Who wants to show off their memorization skills? We know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, those called according to His purpose. What does Paul say? Does he say, when he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does he say, well, we think this is going to happen or we believe this is going to happen, we suppose it may happen or we hope it will happen. What does Paul say? We know. Christian, do you know? Do you know? Romans 8.28 is the promise of God. And do you know you can stand on it? Do you know that? God is serious about you knowing it. And He's serious about you living it, friend. He's serious about it. He's serious about that for His people. You know, God doesn't say stuff just to hear Himself speak. If God has said it, He means for you to apply it. He means for me to apply it. To live like Romans 8.28 is true. I know, I promise, I don't get paid by Piper to use his name. But I have to share this quote. It's a great quote. Romans 8.28. About Romans 8.28. I have to share it with you. Okay. Bear with me. Piper says, if you live inside this massive promise of Romans 8.28, your life is more solid and stable than Mount Everest. Nothing can blow you over. Amen? Nothing can blow you over if you're really standing on the promises of God. Outside Romans 8.28, Piper continues, all is confusion, all is anxiety, all is fear, all is uncertainty. But once you walk into the massive, unshakable structure of Romans 8.28, everything changes. Stability, depth, and freedom come into your life. You cannot be blown over anymore. Beloved, do you feel like you're going to be blown over? Claim the promise of your God. Believe it. And wait for His deliverance. It will come. Listen, we talked about it a lot. If the trial's here, oh, guess what else? We say this a lot. We've said it a lot in the last year. If the trial's here, guess what else? God's here. It's a God encounter. When the trial comes, it's not serendipitous. It's not by accident. It's a God encounter. And He means to meet you there. 
And He means to change you there and He means to do some other things too. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Psalm 71, 3, God is our rock of habitation. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases that, that psalm. I've shared it with you many times. I absolutely love it. God is our vast granite fortress, beloved. Are you wringing your hands? You shouldn't be if you call yourself a Christian. His joy is bigger than any circumstance. So Paul's joy is immune to hard circumstance. Why? He knows Romans 8.28 is true. And he lives like Romans 8.28 is true. Here's the deal. Paul doesn't understand everything. He never says, I understand it all. I can parse it all. He doesn't say that. He just trusts God. You know, Christians, I, I talk to Christians so many times and they, they really want to understand everything that God's doing in their life. Beloved, let me just put you at rest. You're never going to understand all that God is doing. He's never going to explain Himself to you. He doesn't give an account to, peop, to, to men, much less, uh, well, to, to men or even His children. He does not give an account of Himself. We're supposed to just trust Him. Amen? When the hard thing comes, we're supposed to just trust Him. We're supposed to stand on the promise of God. Paul did. Yeah, he's in prison. But the Gospel is progressing. Verse 13, the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else has heard his story. His imprisonment was a divine appointment to display Christ. And beloved, the next time your trial comes, and it will come, Jesus said, in, in this life you what, Jim? You will have trouble. Jim reminds me of this all the time in men's Bible study. When the trial comes, it's a divine appointment for you to display the sufficiency of the reality and sufficiency of your God. Now here's how the thing worked for Paul. He's not in a jail cell in a conventional prison. He's in a small private rented lodge and he's chained to a Roman soldier. This is the kind of imprisonment that Paul is in at this time. He's chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It's an 18, probably an 18-inch chain. Escape is impossible and of course so is any privacy. So these Praetorian guards are chained to Paul for six, hour, for six hour shifts. And I love what John MacArthur says. You know, it's one thing uh, for Paul to be chained to the soldier, but it's quite another thing for the soldier to be chained to Paul. Can you imagine how intense that is? For six hours. And Paul just preaches to these guys. You know, it's just a six hour sermon. It's a six hour sermon on how awesome Christ is. And guess what? These guys are getting converted. How do we know? Philippians chapter 4, verse, I think it's 22. I don't know. Yeah, here it is in my notes. I love my notes. <laughs> verse 22, all the saints from Caesar's household, Paul says, greet you. These guys are getting converted. See what God does? God's converting these praetorian guards who are the elite soldiers of Rome. You see what God's doing in Paul's trial? 
Oh, guess what? That's what God is going to do in your trial too. If you won't get into a, a ball of self-pity and start to wring your hands, but you just let the power of God flow through you and the joy of God flow through you and the life of God flow through you. Beloved, that's what it's about. <clears throat> These soldiers not only got an earful, they got an eyeful. You know, you can't fake it 24-7. It was real with Paul. They could tell it was real with Paul. It wasn't just religion with this guy. It was real. This guy was facing capital punishment. He could be put to death. And all this joy is just flowing out of him. They knew something was up. He was either smoking crack somehow, or he really knows God. And he couldn't get any crack. Because he was chained up to these guys, right? He knew God! He knew God. Beloved, when the trial comes, you're supposed to display that you know God too. And that God's enough. God's more than enough. It doesn't matter how hard it is. My God is God. The Father of love has sent for me. And I will be with Him forever. And my inheritance is infinite exuberance along with the kingdom of God and all that that entails. Man, these soldiers, <laughs> yeah, they got converted in self-defense, some of them, I'm sure. I'm sure. So if the trial is here, God is here. If the trial is here, your megaphone is here. And God needs for you to put that megaphone up to your mouth and you need to praise Christ and you need to show the reality and the sufficiency of Christ. And the unbelievers around you are supposed to see it. And the believers around you are they're supposed to see it. And what does Paul say here? Hey, man, these guys are getting converted. The whole Praetorian Guard knows about this. Look what he says in verse 14. And all the, he says, most of the brethren are encouraged and they're emboldened. Why? Because this one man is standing on Romans 8.28 and he's letting the power of God flow through him. You say, Jim, I could never be like that. Wrong, you can be like that. You have the same thing the Apostle Paul has. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, Christian friend. You and I can be like the Apostle Paul. It's what we learned over in John 11. You remember that great... I love John 11. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, Lazarus died. and you know They sent word to Jesus and Jesus tarried for a few days. And, and Lazarus died. And Jesus lets His people go through this, this difficult circumstance. But if you study John 11 closely, you see that there's a couple of reasons why Jesus does this. One is, He's going he's gonna to bolster the faith of his, his, uh, his, his disciples. But, oh yes, when he, when he gets there and He raises Lazarus from the dead, many Jews will believe. And people will get converted in your trial when you let the power of God flow through you. And many brothers and sisters in the church will be encouraged in your trial when you let the power of God 
flow through you. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. We're going to cover it in a couple of months probably, whenever we get there. Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance, whether humble or prosperous, in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says, I know the secret. And I want to ask you, Christian friend, do you know the secret and are you living it? You can do all things. You can, you can walk through all circumstance through Christ who strengthens you. Circumstance could not steal Paul's joy. He has tasted the infinite exuberance of God. And prison cannot steal it. Prison cannot steal it. I already mentioned this, but look at verse 14. Look, the brethren have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Without fear. Paul was living Romans 8.28. The lost were getting converted and the brethren were being emboldened. Beloved, when your trial comes, I want to say to you there's a lot at stake. You know, sometimes we just... We just get into a ball of self-pity and we think it's all about us. We learned in John 11, if we paid any attention at all, it's not all about us. It's never been about us. It'll never be about us. Who's it about? Someone tell me. It's about Christ. You know, the whole Martha, Mary, Lazarus thing. It wasn't about them. It was what Jesus wanted to do in them and through them. Beloved, that should always be our first question. When the trial comes, God, what is it that You want to do in me and through me? That's it. That's all you need to remember when the trial comes. When your hard day comes. Lord God, I know You're sovereign. I know this hasn't come to me uh, by accident. I know You're doing something in my life. What is it You want to do in me, Lord, and through me, Lord? That's all you need to remember as a believer. There's a lot at stake in your trial, beloved. There's a lot at stake. Do you believe Romans 8.28? Do you believe it? Do you know Christ like that? Can you trust Christ? You know, when Satan's screaming in your ear, he doesn't care about you. He's not even there. He's a joke. You know, when Satan's saying to you, it's all a lie. And you, you, know, you just think you can't cry anymore. And the circumstance is awful. Will you believe Him then? Beloved, will you believe Him then? You know, that's when we find out who we really are. That's when we find out who we really are. And I know some of you just think, well, that's just a preacher preaching. I want to tell you, friend, I know there are testimonies in this church who've gone through trials, and God has been faithful. And men and women around these people have been converted, and the brethren have been encouraged and emboldened. I'm not just up here preaching. God means for you to believe Romans 8.28. He means for you to live like you believe it. It's real Christianity. God means to do a God thing or two in you when it gets hard. Verses 15 to 17. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. 
The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am, dis I am appointed for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Did you notice some men are preaching the Gospel from envy, strife, selfish, selfish ambition, and seeking to cause Paul distress. Apparently, we don't know the details, but apparently these men are attacking the Apostle Paul. They are disparaging him, uh, possibly for being in prison. You know, you know these arrogant and stupid men who think that they can parse and dissect and understand the providences of God. I, am now, I never cease to be amazed at how arrogant men can be. You know, probably some are saying, well, he sinned. That's why God put him there. That's why God's put him on the shelf. He must have done some great sin. Or, you know, the name it and claim it crowd, they're probably saying, well, he's lost the favor of God. He doesn't have the power of God in his life. Or he would name it and claim it and he'd walk out of that prison. I don't know what the details are. But these men are disparaging Paul. They are disparaging him, causing him distress. Isn't it amazing? The stupidity of men who think they can, they can parse the sovereignty and the providences of God. But you know what God says, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts, what? Someone tell me. My thoughts, they're not your thoughts. God says, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Beloved, that we need to have a little humility before God and acknowledge, as I say to you many, many times, He's God, you're not. Let's practice some humility before the Lord. Let's not pretend we're omniscient and we know all things because we simply do not. We are clearly finite. But these men are attacking Paul. We don't have the details. But beloved, Paul's not in prison because he was unfaithful. He's in prison because he was faithful. He's not in prison because he failed. He's in prison because he was succeeding. He's not in prison because he's out of God's will, but because he is in it. Because he is in it. Paul wrote that beautiful thing in Romans 11.33. Paul understands this. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't understand all that God is doing, but he knows enough to trust Him. You know, Paul wrote, uh, how unsearchable are God's judgments and how unfathomable are His ways. Are you calling God to, you, to account in your trial? He will not give you an accounting. He means for you to simply trust Him. Hear me say this, beloved. We're not supposed to spend our time trying to dissect and understand the hard providences of God. We're supposed to spend our time magnifying God in them. Did you get that? You're not supposed to spend your time trying to understand all that God is doing. You're simply supposed to be magnifying God in all that He is doing in your life. This is... Just a biblical fact. What does Jesus say when men, when men speak falsely against you? What, is, what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 6? Anybody remember? Be glad and leap for joy. Your reward in heaven will be great. Be glad and leap for joy. I, in the ministry, being in the ministry for a time now, and every once in a while, I'll, I'll get just assaulted. I mean, verbally assaulted. And just, I mean, 
blasted for the Gospel's sake. It happens on occasion. And it never ceases to shock you or stun you. I can remember one time I shared this one thing that happened. I shared it with Karen and she was so good she quoted the words of Jesus to, to me from the sermon on the mount. Blessed are you when you are persecuted and men insult you and falsely accuse you on my account. Beloved, when you are attacked for the Gospel's sake, blessed are you. You don't have to take revenge. You don't have to, you don't have to defend yourself. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. So it's not bad enough that Paul's in prison. He's being attacked. But Paul's joy is big enough to endure. Verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul says, as long as Jesus is proclaimed, as long as He is magnified, I rejoice. Paul says, I know it's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my ease. It's not about my prosperity. It's about what Jesus wants to do through me, whether I'm in great blessing or in great trial. Beloved, this is the call of the Christian. This is the call of the Christian. He is imprisoned for Christ's sake. He is slandered for Christ's sake. And Paul says, I rejoice. Yes, I say I rejoice. You see why this is called the epistle of joy. C.S. Lewis is right. Most of us have settled for lesser things. To settle means to accept something in spite of incomplete satisfaction with it. Let me ask you before I read you this, and I'm closing now, which means I probably won't preach more than another hour or so. No, really, just a few minutes. As I read you this, let me ask you, I want you to evaluate yourself. Have you settled for anything less than Jesus Christ to rule and reign in your life? Are you chasing anything else other than that? Is there anything that's preeminent to Him in your life? Anything. Beloved, it won't fill your heart. If you're a Christian, you know that. It won't fill your heart. C.S. Lewis says, most of us settle for incomplete satisfaction. Paul would not. Even if it took him to prison. Even if he got beaten with rods and, and the lash and he was stoned. Paul would not settle for anything less than radically pursuing Jesus Christ and radically giving himself away to Jesus Christ. We talked about it last month. That's real biblical Christianity. It's not this dead junk that masquerades as Christianity in much of the world and in many churches. But it's, it's a romance with Christ. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. He said we're half-hearted creatures. We fool around with drink and sex and ambition, etc., 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 when infinite joy has been offered to us. I love this. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Paul was not easily pleased, even if it took him to prison. He was going to walk with Christ. Christ was his treasure. Christ was his joy. Christ was his infinite exuberance. 
He just couldn't settle for anything else. And I'm asking you, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, have you settled for something else, beloved? Are you right now, in this season of your life, are you settling for anything less than radically pursuing, radically walking, radically obeying the Lord Jesus Christ? It's just a hard biblical fact. You are guaranteed a life of incomplete satisfaction until you give yourself away to Christ. It is just a biblical fact. And let me tell you, beloved, mud pies are not going to fill your soul. They're not even going to fill up your daily life. So on the road to Damascus, the king of love came for Paul. He never got over it. And he lived like he never got over it. You know, I tend to meet many Christians. They seem to have gotten over the fact that God has come for them and God has redeemed them from an eternal hell if we believe our Bibles. That God took the, the penalty of our sin on Himself. He who knew no sin became sin. All of these breathtaking things. And we just act like it doesn't mean anything in our daily lives. Beloved, this has to be a great grief to God. Paul never got over it. And that's my challenge to you tonight. If you've gotten over it to some degree, I want to call you to repent tonight. You need to stop being over it. And you need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Because what's happened to you if you're a Christian tonight is the most unspeakably beautiful thing that can ever happen to a man or a woman. And if it's just common to you, and it doesn't really fill your heart, and it doesn't really fill your mind, and it doesn't really fill your life, something is not right in your spirituality. And I'm not saying we, we all do it perfectly. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm going to close with what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12-14. through 14. Just listen to Paul. And I'm going to read it to you from the message, okay? And then I'm done. Listen to how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. I love how Paul says this, or how Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases it. He says, I'm not saying that I have it all together. Do you hear what he's saying? I'm not saying I've got it all together. We're never going to have it all together until we see Jesus. He says, I'm not saying I have it all together. That I, have, that I have made it. But I am well on my way. Listen to this. Reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself as an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward. To Jesus, I'm off and running. And I'm not turning back. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 It should be the signature of your life. If you've met Christ, and you've given yourself to Him, and you are walking with Him, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 It will be ever-present in your heart. And it should be ever present on your tongue. Rejoice always. My God is God. My God has saved me. My inheritance is Him. Let's pray together. Forgive us, Lord God, if we've allowed our
redemption to become a small thing in our life. Forgive us, Lord God, if we allowed the things of the world to, to get ahead of You, our devotion to You, our love for You. Forgive us, O oh God, if we have settled for anything in this world. Forgive us, O oh God, if we have not believed and stood on Romans 8.28. Forgive us, O oh God, if we have come into the trial, but we have not believed You nor trusted You. Forgive us, Father. May we all repent tonight. May we all return to our first love. May we all drink deeply at the fountain of infinite exuberance. Rejoice always. It's who You are, Father. I pray that it would be who we are for these few moments we have on this planet to honor You, to magnify You, to make Jesus famous in the world. Father, when the trial comes, we know it's a divine appointment. We know You have come to us. We know You are going to meet us there. We know You are going to meet our need. And yes, Father, we understand from Your Word that most likely You're going to be converting people around us and You're going to be encouraging the brethren. Lord, may we be faithful in this. May we be good stewards of our trials. Thank You, awesome. Beautiful Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. To my live for every day. To my live for every day.